right, go ahead, take your seats and open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Well, you've possibly experienced it. You've probably heard of it, seen it. Surely you've read about it. And you definitely don't like it. If you're similar to me, and I know that you are, when it comes to things you don't like, you like to run as far away in the other direction as possible. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, each and every one of you is called to engage in gospel ministry, and yet, each and every one of you is tempted to disengage from gospel ministry for one and the same reason, and that is suffering. Suffering, be it emotional suffering, relational suffering, financial suffering, perhaps even physical suffering. Living for Jesus Christ is hard work, especially when it elicits opposition, and it often does. So we need some motivation. We, we need to be grounded in some faithful reasons why we should suffer for the sake of the gospel. And this morning's passage, Paul is addressing Timothy, and, and he's, he's telling him gospel ministry is hard work, and there will be pain and suffering so you're going to have to endure. And I want each and every one of us to put ourselves this morning in Timothy's shoes. Sit in Timothy's chair as you listen to God's word this morning and, and just think of your gospel ministry. You're not a pastor like Timothy, but you have a gospel ministry. God has given each and every one who is in Christ a gospel ministry. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's with your children, your spouse. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's on your street at the end of your driveway. Maybe, maybe it's with the stranger in the, in the store when you encounter somebody just, just ripe for a gospel conversation. You have a gospel ministry. And yet, we're fooling ourselves to think that gospel ministry isn't, isn't difficult. That there isn't opposition. So we need to be, be grounded in some motivation, some reasons why we ought to endure for the sake of the gospel, Paul tells Timothy, and he tells us this morning, let me tell you why you should be motivated for gospel ministry by, by calling some certain truths to your memory. Look, do you see that word remember in verse 8? Let's read the text together. Verse 8 of chapter 2 says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In the text before us this morning, we find three motivations to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. And the first one is this. Remember 
the Messiah who came for you. That's what Paul has to tell us. Remember the Messiah who came for you. Remember Jesus Christ. When living for Him gets hard, remember that He came to die a hard death for you. You might remember some of the illustrations from last week. And and it was said that Jesus is the ultimate soldier. He's the champion athlete. He's the one who sweat drops of blood for us, His vineyard. Remember Him, Timothy. Remember Him, church. We, We can neglect. We need this word, don't we? We need this command because... We can neglect to remember Jesus Christ. Even in doing gospel ministry, it's it's far too easy for us to get pulled off course in in the focus of our mind and, and to not put before us, first and foremost, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember Him. Remember Him. This is a This is a command, and this is a command to to do something in an ongoing way. We could say it like this, always keep on remembering Jesus Christ, and don't stop. This is of utmost importance for steadfastness in gospel ministry, and when we're suffering for it, we need, church, we need to be good rememberers. It's vital. See, I don't think Paul was, was worried that Timothy would altogether forget about Jesus. It's, it's only that he might fail to keep Jesus preeminent in his thoughts when things get real tough. In difficult times, when he's battling f- false teaching or, or government officials, when he's running that race that's so hard to run and, and passing on that baton of truth to, to the next runner, when he's plowing the fields of evangelism and, and it's just so hard, and he's encountering opposition. And Paul says, don't let your attention drift. Just focus on Jesus Christ and keep on focusing on Him. Remember Jesus Christ. Let your constant thinking about Him motivate you for the task at hand. Living for Jesus requires that, that you keep Him at the forefront of your mind at all times. And and Paul expands on this. He he wants us to remember some certain things about Jesus. He says, first, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He wants us to remember Jesus is alive. We just sang about that. Jesus is alive. He's not in the grave. I was thinking this week about Jesus' words in in the book of Revelation chapter 1. He said, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus is alive. We need to remember that. Every day you're out there doing gospel ministry, you need to remember Jesus defeated death. Jesus overcame the grave. He had victory. Victory over death. And it's ought to to motivate us to to do gospel ministry just just like he did, knowing that there's life beyond the grave. So, So even if we suffer unto death, like Jesus, we too will rise again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in another letter of Paul, put up on the screen, he said, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, we go out and we do gospel ministry. The resurrection has so much to do. It's not just 
a historical fact. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. The, the resurrection is hope for today. That there's life beyond the grave, beyond this life. There's eternal life. It's a truth-holding promise. That no matter, even if we have to suffer unto the point that, that Jesus himself, let me clarify it, that just meaning death, obviously not to the same degree, that the way Paul died, right? Paul is dying. He doesn't know if he's going to live another day writing this letter in that dungeon. But he hangs on to this hope. There is a resurrection. Jesus went before me. And if I endure with him, I will go with him also. You know, there's Christians in the world today that because simply for their belief in Jesus Christ, they don't know if today is their last day to be alive. Just think about that. They don't know if today is going to be the day that they leave this world simply for proclaiming the good news of forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. You think they're holding on to the truth of Jesus' resurrection? You bet they are. Jesus is alive. He's, he's risen from the dead. Remember that when you're doing ministry. Next he says, the offspring of David. He wants to remind us that Jesus is ruling from his throne. Not only has he been raised from the grave, but he is the king, eternal, ruling from his throne. Listen, when, when we hear about David, we need to think the one. Jesus is the one. He's the son of David. He's the one. He's the one. He's the promised Messiah who will come and save his people from their sins and who will reign forevermore. Paul wants us to remember we have a king to serve, a king who gave his life to purchase our redemption, a king who conquered the grave, a king who knows what it's like to suffer for the gospel. God is a promise-keeping God. He sent his king he sent the king that he, he promised to David. Right? He told David through the prophet Nathan, I will send a king in your line, a king who will not die but, but live forevermore and he will save his people from their sins. That's what the angel told Joseph. Name him Jesus, Joseph, son of David. He'll save his people from his sins, from their sins. He's a king who ever lives to help us every day. And he's a king who showed us that God's pattern is that glory follows suffering. That's, that's God's design. First suffering and then glory. When the angel appeared to Mary, he, he said, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And what we know now on this side of the cross is that before this exaltation, before his, his heavenly coronation as king, who came to this world to save sinners, he must first suffer. Suffer and then glory. Glory follows suffering. This is the order when it comes to gospel ministry. And so when we remember Jesus, we remember God's prescribed order and we're not surprised when we encounter opposition as he did. 
but we're motivated by Him when we remember Him, who He is and all that He's done. I say it like this, I must keep Jesus as my central focus throughout all the hardships of this life. I must keep Jesus as my central focus throughout all the hardships of this life. And there are many hardships when it comes to gospel ministry. This leads to the second motivation to endure suffering for the gospel. First was, was this, remember the Messiah who came for you. Here's the second, remember the message that saves you. Remember, Timothy, remember, church, the message that saves you. At the end of uh, verse 8, Paul says, this is my gospel. This is the gospel that I preach. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This is the message that I've been heralding. Come from heaven to save sinners. Born in the royal family line as foretold by the scriptures. Lived a sinless life. Died on the cross, bearing the wrath of God. Raised to life again in victory over sin to set captives free. This is the message that was given to me. And this is the message I'm passing on to you and telling you to pass on to others. And it's because of this message that I'm suffering. This is now the third time in this, in this book, just, just a short page and a half so far in my Bible, where the word gospel and the word suffering appear right close in proximity to one another. Look back at chapter 1 in verse 8. Paul wrote, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. We'll continue reading. By the power of God, who saved us and called us, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now watch this. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. See, see Paul wants to remind Timothy that Gospel ministry equals suffering. And there's no getting around that. Everywhere we turn in our New Testaments, that's what we see. Gospel ministry equals suffering. The, The very message that saves you is a message of suffering. And according to the divine plan, it's a message that when lived out and heralded to others, will encounter more suffering. So Paul says, I'll take it. I'll take it. Paul's a good soldier, isn't he? We can hold him up as as a model example of, of his own preaching. He is a good soldier for Jesus Christ, willing to endure suffering because of the life giving message. He says, It's worth it. It's worth it. No opposition will deter this messenger. No opposition will deter this messenger. And he, he knew there was going to be opposition. Even as he was experiencing it, he knew there was going to be more. You might remember just a short time ago, Pastor Ian being in Acts chapter 20. And Paul meets with the Ephesian elders on his way to Jerusalem. He says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment 
and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel to the gospel of grace, of the grace of God. Since I'm compelled by the message. I know there's cost. I know it's going to hurt. I know I'm going to suffer for it. But I'm compelled by the message, in spite of it all, to keep on going. And now we find him bound with chains as a criminal. The very thing he knew that the Holy Spirit told him was going to happen, happened. He's, he's bound. He, he's not just incarcerated. He's, he's literally bound with chains as though he were a criminal for preaching the gospel. And this word used here for criminal, it's, it's no light word. It, it is a word that the lexicon say is used for one who commits gross misdeeds and serious crimes. This is the worst kind of criminal they're calling Paul and they're treating him like that. Paul says, I'll take it. I'll take it. This, this opposition will not stop me because I have a message that needs to go out. And it's a life-giving message. I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to stop. They can treat me as a criminal if they want. After all, my, my Lord was hanged on a tree between two criminals and counted as one himself. Paul is exemplifying a pattern of sacrificial ministry that was given to him from Jesus Christ. Now he's calling Timothy to do the same. Paul's main concern throughout the letter is not only that we know what the message is, but that we're reminded that it's our responsibility to this message that we live as Paul and as Jesus did. And it's important that we embrace this reality that the message that saves is a dangerous message. Too often, we've said this before, too often we are influenced by the culture around us that treats suffering as something that needs to be alleviated at all costs. The world we live in just sees suffering as just the worst possible thing and no matter what we need to do to stop it, we ought to do it. Paul says that's, that's not the case. We, we know from Scripture something quite different. Alleviating suffer, suffering is not our top goal. We want to honor our King. You know, do, do you realize that we are here today gathered in this room with Bibles on our laps because people in previous generations were willing to suffer for the gospel that it might reach us. That's a big deal. I, I remember Pastor Ian sharing about being in Nepal and just sitting, sitting around with a small group of, of people and, and just asking them, how many of you have been beat up for your faith in Jesus Christ? And every single hand in the room went up. Physically beat up for Jesus Christ. For, for believing in Jesus Christ and for sharing the message. You know, we may not suffer in that way right now, but um, certainly there are ways that we suffer for the gospel too. I, I know there are some in this room right now who are suffering family troubles because of your commitment to Jesus Christ, to live for Him and to proclaim Him. And it's hard. It's difficult. And I know of others who, in your workplace your commitment to be in, in, in a person of integrity in the workplace is causing you trouble. And, and, and maybe even, if not explicitly, implicitly, there are, are threats and implications for your faith. 
and it's hard. And Paul says, there are good reasons to keep on suffering. There are good reasons to keep on suffering for Jesus Christ. There's others suffering around the world now just like Paul was then. See, see this? This is not just something that happened way back then. I read an account earlier. Just, just voice, you may be familiar. The Voice of the Martyrs website. I, I think you just go www.persecution.com. I, I think that's where you go. And, and you can read accounts from around the world of today, 2017, of, of what people are going through that, that we might not have some first-hand experience of. I read of a man who's been, recently been jailed for 15 years, put in prison for no other reason than being a follower of Jesus Christ. Ten of those years for having a church in his home and then another five because he, he spoke out against the state religion. Fifteen years in jail. That, that's going on in our world today. We need to pray for those people. They probably read a passage like this just a little bit differently than we do and yet you know, I'm not a prophet, but, but I think that what I'm seeing in our place that we live now, there's a, there's a massive shift going on, and it's going to be a lot different pretty soon to live as a Christian in our world than it ever has been before. I really honestly, truly believe that, that it's going to be really hard for us in, in certain ways, given the, 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 what's going on in, in the government, laws that are being passed, the culture around us, the, the values that are being espoused, and then the values that are being hated. It's irrational, it's unjust, but it doesn't matter because that's how the, the, the evil one works, isn't it? And we need to get ready. We need to read a text like this, and we need to know that, that we might not be far off something much different than we've been used to experiencing when it comes to suffering for the sake of the gospel. But like Paul, we need to declare no opposition will deter this messenger. This one right here. That one right there. Why? Because no opposition will desist the message. No opposition will desist the message. Even though he's in chains, Paul, he he chooses here not to dwell on his, his imprisonment, on his suffering. Instead, he wants to remind us to be motivated by the unrestrainable nature of the gospel. The message that saves is the message that overwhelmingly conquers. It cannot be stopped. I may be in prison, he says, but the word of God is not bound. Amen. The word of God is not bound. They can lock up the messenger, but they can never lock up the message. Remember the the words of, of Martin Luther in his famous hymn, The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. It's a supernatural message and it cannot be defeated. It will accomplish its purposes. How many times in the last 2,000 years have they tried to silence the gospel message? They've tried to kill all the Christians. They've, they've tried to burn all the Bibles, but we're still here. The message will not be conquered. Paul says they think they can arrest me and lock me up in this dungeon and that In so doing, they can suppress the message and stop the spread of of the gospel of Jesus Christ risen from the dead to save sinners? Never. It's never going to happen. In fact, it's going to have the opposite effect. Paul Paul remembers his first imprisonment, I'm sure, when he wrote to the Philippians and and he said, "I, I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. They put me in jail and the gospel went forth even stronger. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I'm just inclined to think that that man in that Iranian prison isn't going to be the last convert. The gospel will keep on doing its work. Paul says, I'm stuck here. I can't go anywhere. I can't preach. I can't go visit the churches anymore. So Timothy, here, you take the torch and go do it and train up others to do it too. This gospel ministry has to keep going. The word will endure. No opposition will desist the message. It's going to continue to go forth and it will continue to save souls. This is why Paul says he's willing to endure everything. See that in verse 10? Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Endurance looks beyond present trials and forward to a victorious outcome. By definition, it contains a cost, but the gain looked forward to is far greater. So Paul says, no matter what they throw at me, I'll take everything. I'll take the imprisonments. I'll take the beatings, the stonings, the lashings, the starving, the the wild animals, the shipwrecks, the hunger, the thirst, I'll take it being run out of town, my name being slandered, the lies. I'll take it all for the sake of those that God has destined the message to get to. He will save souls through this message. One writer said this, the purpose for the grinding difficulty, deprivation, disgrace, and discomfort of Paul's life was so that the grace of God might reach those whom God had chosen to enjoy it, and that might there is a for sure. Paul says he does it for the sake of the elect. Those who are chosen by God, remember we, we just read it, before the ages began, to be recipients of his saving grace, who in their, in their place in real time and history, believing the good news about Jesus Christ, because of the gift of faith granted to them, are adopted into his family. These are the elect. And Paul says, I'm doing everything for their sake to get the message to them. He says, I'm more than willing to suffer so that they will get this message. It's been destined to reach them and it's been determined in eternity past that it would be received by them so that they too will belong to Jesus Christ. Now some have said, Why so much suffering then if they're elect? If if it's for sure guaranteed that these people are going to believe the message of Jesus Christ, why do do we have to go through all of the suffering? And We need to just remember that God designs the means as well as the ends. This is God's plan of redemption. We saw it in Jesus Christ. Come to earth to hang on the cross, to, to bear the eternal... Wrath, the uncomprehensible punishment that sin deserved, taken upon himself to save sinners. The the doctrine of election doesn't render evangelism null and void as some people think it does. 
In fact, it flips that whole notion on its head and, and says, since there are those who will believe, we must go forth with the message and proclaim it. The fact that God has elect ought to make us risk suffering and endure so that those out there who will respond will respond. And I thought of a missionary. You, you might know the name William Carey. He lived in the 18th and 19th centuries. And they call him the father of modern missions. William Carey left uh, his, his home, his family, his career behind from England and he went to India. He felt called by the Lord to go to this nation that had no gospel light, no knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and bring them this unfailing message. And you know what? William Carey believed that the Bible taught the doctrine of election. He believed there was people there set apart by God from before the foundation of the world that would believe his message. So he brought the message to them through all the pain and all the toil, all the years of hard labor and opposition. Translated the Bible into many different languages. Eventually he saw many converts and he left behind a faithful deposit when he, when he passed. He knew that, that there was no other name in heaven or on earth than Jesus Christ that could save them. Salvation, Paul says, that is in Christ Jesus. And it's implied that, that Timothy and, and you and I as well must join in and embrace this completing of the elect's salvation. You know, this, I just want to share personally from my heart that this passage has had a tremendous I don't want to over, I, I don't think I can overstate that. It's just God has really worked in my heart this week through this passage to show me that I need to stop fearing any opposition to being a, a gospel light to those in this world when I don't know how they're going to respond. And, and as I sh- shared earlier, he's, he's really just um, gripping me, I think, to get ready for maybe some hard choices that I'm going to have to make and you, you, you will have to make going forward, things, things we may have to take a stand on, th- things where there will be consequences. I, just, I feel so compelled. I, I'm, this, this word is doing its work to motivate me in the way that I believe that God designed it to, and I hope it is to you as well this morning. Maybe, maybe you can think of, of an area in your life right now, maybe it's a particular person or just an, an activity, something where um, you have been counting the cost and you, you know it's going to be hard to do gospel ministry, and so you've been, been just shying away, and, and I hope that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is just encouraging your heart this morning to, to draw in, to draw near, to walk forward, as Paul, through God's Word, by the Holy Spirit, is calling you to do this morning. Say this with me, I must embrace hardships for the sake of those who will believe the message. Make that a commitment. I must endure hardship for the sake of those who will believe the message. Verse 10 ends with these words, with eternal glory. The message of salvation comes with it, eternal glory. And that brings us to the third motivation to endure suffering for gospel ministry, Paul says this, remember the majesty that awaits you. Remember the majesty that awaits you. Here there are prison cells. There there are mansions of glory. 
And he wants to set before us what God has in store for those who are faithful to serve him and to live for the gospel until the end. And he does so by way of a faithful saying, a trustworthy saying. This is one of five times in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, that Paul uses this um, formula, if we could call it that, this, the saying is trustworthy. And, and then he gives some memorable truths, some, some things we can count on, some anchors for our soul to focus on in confusing times. One commentator said, the insertion of these theological affirmations makes the obligation to join in suffering impossible to miss and too serious to dismiss. Here we see some warnings or some promises and some warning for the Christian who abides through suffering or the one who does not. For the Christian who does abide through suffering, there remains a guaranteed vindication. Look at the first line of this this, um, hymn, if you will. If we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. Now, this could be spiritually speaking. Paul could could be saying what he says in other places like Romans chapter 6 or Galatians chapter 2, that, that in this life, at the point of conversion, we die with Christ and then we, for the rest of our time here on earth, live with Christ. He, he may be saying that. That's definitely true. And yet there's another way we could take this. It could be that he's talking about physical life. If you die a martyr's death with him, you will be raised to live in the resurrection with him. Even if they kill you like they're about to kill me for the sake of the gospel, don't worry, you will live with Jesus. And I, I, I believe that's the sense that we should take this in. I think given the context of the letter, the fact that, that Paul is just talking about uh, being chained as a criminal and we know that his death is uh, on the very near horizon, I, th- I think he's talking about physical death. And saying, don't worry, even if, even if you die for the sake of gospel ministry, you will live. Absent, absent from the body, present with the Lord, you will be with Him. So don't be afraid to die a martyr's death. Next line, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If you endure... If, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. And endurance is when you bravely bear up under the hardships and afflictions heaped upon you because of your commitment to Jesus. And as we've seen, it's the biblical prerequisite to enjoying the majestic promise that awaits. There's, there's a glorious promise that awaits every believer. And yet, on the pathway there, it's marked with endurance this is this is a promise that if you withstand you will partake of his glory in his glory i love the last two chapters of our bible you know i once heard a man say that um, whenever he gets discouraged in this life whenever he finds himself just down and, and troubled by the things that he's going through he he just opens up his bible and fast forwards to the end and he just reads chapters 21 and 22 of revelation again to refresh himself and to remind himself of the majesty and the glory that awaits those who endure with Jesus Christ. In uh, chapter 22 of Revelation, um, we're going to put, yeah, we'll put it up on the screen. Verse 3 ends with um, 
talking about how the servants of the Lamb will worship Him. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will, what? Reign forever and ever. Earlier in that book, we read these words, the one who conquers I will grant him to sit with me, Jesus says, on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. What a, what a promise. That there's a, a majestic, glorious inheritance waiting for those who endure. Church, will you endure for the gospel ministry? Will you endure in gospel ministry? Will you let this fuel you through the hardships? God intends for this to be a motivator for you and for me. The with Him is the best part of, of the whole line. We will reign with Him. We get to be with Jesus. A spot at His table for all eternity. To be with our Savior who reigns in glory and to partake of His glory with Him. What a reason. What a reason for us to endure in gospel ministry. So those, there's two promises. Now we see a warning. Paul says, if we deny Him, He will also, also will deny us. This is a warning against apostasy. This is a warning against those who are, are counting the cost of, of being a gospel witness and, and believing and living for Christ. And then they say, you know what, it's too hard. I think I'm going to throw the towel in. I, you know what, after all, I don't even believe this stuff anymore. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's not a denial like Peter's denial. Maybe you're thinking about that. Um, the, the, the outcome is just too different. It says he also will deny us. Those who deny Him, Jesus will deny before the Father. And, and Peter, I mean, he, yes, he had a, had a lapse in, in his commitment to confess his allegiance to Christ. And then he went out and he repented and he wept bitterly and Jesus restored him. Jesus did not deny him. That wasn't, that wasn't the final mark of his life. But some, they turn away. I, I, you know, you think in the Gospel of John, it said there were many disciples following after Jesus, but then some withdrew and were not walking with Christ anymore. And maybe, maybe there's some in this room today who are on the brink of not walking with Christ anymore, of forsaking His name and, and, and denying Him and saying, I don't believe this stuff anymore. It's too hard. It's not worth it. And, and let me just impress upon you this morning the weight of that denial. It's eternal. You, you, you must not deny Him. The cost is too high. The, the sufferings in this world are, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits those who endure. Finally, Paul says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Now, there's some debate over the meaning and application of this last line here. 
Um, some, some take it to mean um, the, the faithless there, unbelief, so that it would be paired with the above line, just further expanding on what it's like to deny Christ. And, and, and that this would be teaching that, that even if that happens, uh, Jesus must remain faithful because he can't deny himself, so he'll be faithful to judge those who turn away from him. Now, certainly that is true. He, he will judge those who turn away from him. He, he can't do otherwise because this is part of who he is and what he said he would do. So that's the first option, but this, there's, there's another option. Perhaps Paul is saying this, that God can help those who are struggling in their Christian walk. Maybe it's not faithless. Maybe it's just a lack of faithfulness. And this too would be consistent with God's character that he would remain faithful to those who are struggling in their walk, struggling in their gospel ministry. Both of these are true. Um, I t- it seems to me that it's more likely that it's this second view, that, that the faithless here are those who are struggling with faithlessness, that, that this is not so much a warning as an encouragement that would go with the first two lines. And, and I think this lines up, in fact, it does line up with the usual way that we see God's faithfulness talked about in Scripture. When we, when we read of God's faithfulness, it's for the good of the believer. It's not, it's not in a negative sense. And this word actually that's used for faithful here, he remains faithful. That word is always used in a positive sense for the believer. Uh, secondly, it allows for that area of the Christian life that could be characterized as neither being a faithful endurer nor a denier. It's the in-between where, where so many of us find ourselves often in this life and where it appears Timothy was finding himself during the time of receiving this letter. It would hit home with Timothy specifically because Paul is, is calling him to, to, to fan into flame the gift that God's given him, right? Because it's not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. God is saying, even if you are lacking faithfulness, He remains faithful. He's God. He can't be otherwise. He, he has to be faithful even in times of, of struggling faith. He says, God will never change. He will always be true to His character and will continue to be faithful as He has promised regardless of the believer's faithlessness. For God not to be faithful would be to cease being God. I, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit intends for us to be encouraged here by this last line. When, when we feel like we're lacking um, in faithfulness, He remains faithful. He's patient. He's gracious. He's steadfast in His love to help those who are struggling to live for Him and to, to proclaim Him. We who are weary and, and want to endure by His faithful help can Let us be motivated by that reality. That He will bring us through just as He's promised. That we may live and reign with Him. Mark this, I must endure. I must endure for there's a glorious prize. There's a glorious prize for those who do. Paul says, there's your motivation. There's your motivation, church. 
Remember you have a Messiah who came for you. Remember the message that saves you. Remember the majesty that awaits you. And be a good servant of the gospel. Go endure for the sake of the elect. That's your motivation. Are you motivated? Let's pray. Lord God, we continue to bow before you and ask that you would do your good work in us, that you would complete what you've started in us and that you would help us to live as you've called us to live, to suffer as you've called us to suffer, to lay hold of that which you have ordained for us to lay hold of, to to experience hardships for the sake of the gospel. And, And Lord, help us to do so willingly knowing that you sent your Son to pay such a great price for us. Lord, we need your help desperately. We need your grace to strengthen us. Lord, we call out to you asking, Father, for for help in the enduring, for help in gospel ministry. We entrust ourselves to you and to the word of your grace. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.